The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. For quite a while now, we've been trying to go through the kingdom of heaven as a whole, and then also specifically focusing on the book of Acts and the different attributes of God's pattern for a thriving kingdom. And Lord willing, this will be the last message in that series. And I'm not very good at closing out sermons in general. And I also don't think I'm that great at closing out sermon series. So we'll do the best we can today. But what I really want to do is just kind of give you a little bit of a summary of some highlights of some things that we've mentioned in prior weeks to give you more of an overview of what I hope are the main takeaways for you and then leave you with some practical points of the daily activities of the kingdom. What do you need to focus on on a, on a daily basis and things that are specifically mentioned in the book of Acts as the daily activities of the original church? So even backing up past us uh, spending time looking at the kingdom of heaven, even before that, we spent a good bit of time looking at what is the church? What is the church? And the main premise, the main thought that really spurred and stimulated uh, that consideration and then that what is the church really just continued into the, uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven was really this thought that the church is not an event we attend or a place we attend but a church the churches and the kingdom is a life we live okay and i think that we we have a tendency to to view church solely through the lens of public worship right so we attend public worship for an hour and a half once a week and we say we've gone to church and I'm not trying to be a legalist right make a man a offender for a word but uh, it's we attend public worship once a week the church is the living body of Christ that is functioning on a 24-7 basis right so we go and we attend public worship but the church has to be more dynamic and has to be functioning much more <clears throat> than just for an hour and a half once a week, right? <clears throat> Remember us talking about that? I mean, anyone that is, uh, if someone's in a coma and the ventilator, or not the ventilator, uh, they, they, they wake them up for an hour and a half once a week and then they just go back to sleep, well, that's going to be a very unhealthy person, right? So the body and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a living organism, right? It's not an event we attend. It's not a place we go. This body, well, I'm thankful to have a good facility that we can meet in and have, you know, comfortable air conditioning. Uh, but this location is not the church, right? The body, the people, the members of the church. So the body functions in that way on a, on a daily basis, on a perpetual basis, if the church is healthy and the kingdom is thriving. So <clears throat> we spent a good bit of time looking at what is the church and then we focused on the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven has a lot of different applications in the word of God, right? You have kind of the global kingdom that every child of God in a sense is a member of the kingdom because they're a child of the king and the king resides in their heart and the kingdom is within you, the main way. You, you go to a physical location on, on uh, Sunday public worship to present your body a living sacrifice. But even though you're in that physical location, you really experience the kingdom in your, in your soul, right? And, uh, and then the primary application of the kingdom of heaven in the New Testament 
is what we would consider to be the New Testament church, right? Is to profess belief in Jesus Christ and be baptized and then to press into that kingdom. So we looked at uh, parables of the kingdom of heaven, right? Remember that? And especially those uh, in Matthew uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, but then also the parable of the treasure that's hidden in a field, that hidden treasure and that pearl of great price and other parables that describe the kingdom of heaven. And then we spent time in the book of Acts looking at God's pattern for a thriving kingdom, okay? So I'd like to highlight at, at, a, at a high level um, some of those attributes of a thriving kingdom that we've tried to consider. Now, as we've presented for you before, the book of Acts is is really just a description of the church in its first love. The church in its first love. And then, it's a very sad account when you go to the book of Revelation, only one generation later, uh, the church of Ephesus is one of the premier churches in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 19, that's the one where uh, those uh, people that were in witchcraft, they burned their, their books worth 50,000 pieces of silver, and that's the one that the Temple of Diana was vacant, and that's the one that the artisans, the graven image industry was put out of business, right? Well, one generation later, the Lord writes to them in Revelation chapter 2, and he commends them because they're still hold, upholding true doctrine. They're casting out false apostles, and they're still laboring, but they are losing, or they have lost sight of the reason why they're laboring. And he said that you need to uh, go back and remember your first love. But then he says, remember from whence thou art fallen. <laughs> that would have been very sobering for the church at, at Ephesus, that they had fallen from that first state. And he says, what you need to go back to is do the first works. Well, essentially the book of Acts is the first works, right? The book of Acts is the first works of a church in its first love. It's the first chapter, the autobiography of the church. So the book of Acts gives us everything we need for the practice and the pattern of the church. And I want to make sure we, we understand that and we emphasize that because I, at, yesterday at Five Mile, uh, Brother McNeil Honey spoke in the afternoon before me, and and uh, I've been exactly where he's at. He's he's growing, and, and the Lord's blessing him, I believe. Uh, but he said that he asked certain ministers um, that the Lord has blessed their ministry, and uh, the the kingdom has thrived under their uh, their service to the Lord, and he gets all the glory for that. But he uses us to to grow the kingdom as well, right? And he asked them, he asked that minister, and I asked ministers uh, <clears throat> this when I was younger as well, you know, what's your, what's your secret formula, right? What's your secret sauce? Because uh, all the rest of the kingdom is struggling, right? All the rest of the kingdom is diminishing, and, and the Lord is blessing you in a special, what's different? Like, clearly you've got some some special secret method. You, you're doing something different. Well, the sad part is, yes, they are doing something different. You want to know what they're doing? They're simply following the pattern of the book of Acts. So I want you to, to be reassured that there is absolutely nothing broken in the kingdom of God. God's pattern is not broken at all. You want to know what we have to do? Is do the basics well. Do the basics well. And where are the basics at? Right here in the book of Acts. Summarized greatly in Acts chapter 2 that we'll hopefully conclude in. But all throughout the book of Acts. These are the basics. And we don't need anything other than that. We don't have to add all the things that modern Christianity has tried to add to, to grow the kingdom. We just need to do the pattern that God has set for us better. Right? And it is unfortunate that I believe that minister is uh, that, uh, or various ministers that probably McNeil asked and I asked as well, uh, 
they were doing something different than everyone else is doing. Why? Because I think probably we've lost sight of the first works. We've lost sight of the basics. So what do we do? Let's just go back to, go back to grade school, right? Let's go back to the basics. And if we do the basics well, the Lord will be honored and bless us with his Holy Spirit. And that's really what it boils down to. You know, um, we've described these, uh, these attributes of a thriving kingdom similar to the fruit of the Spirit. And he describes that <clears throat> in uh, Galatians chapter 5. And he says, when you see these things, when you see love and joy and peace and meekness and, and long-suffering, when you see these things being exhibited, then that's evidence that the, that the Spirit is already there, and that's the fruit that the Spirit is already there, right? So what we've really been talking about is that all of these attributes that we see exhibited in the early church, that is just simply the fruit of a church that's fully just filled up with the Holy Spirit, right? You know, I think we've given people, uh, I guess you could say those in the Pentecostal or the charismatic kind of movement, uh, we've, we've let them take the title of being a Holy Spirit church. Well, let me tell you, we are called to be a Holy Spirit-filled church. Now, when we rightly divide the New Testament, we have a better understanding of what that manifestation of that Holy Spirit looks like. It doesn't look like the miraculous gifts that have passed off the scene. What it looks like is all the things that we've been trying to consider together, right? <clears throat> So when we talk about all these attributes of a thriving kingdom, really what it boils down to, remember how the book of Acts starts, the Holy Spirit comes down in power, right? The Holy Spirit fills the church. The Holy Spirit baptizes the church. And that's really what we need. We just need to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit because we believe baptism by immersion, right? <laughs> but we don't need a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. We need to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. And if, and if a church is fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, these are the things that are just naturally going to come out. Why? Because it's the natural expressions of the Holy Spirit, right? So really what we need to say, and we've talked about this before, Luke chapter 11, we need to pray for God on a daily basis on our individual lives, but even in a, in a, if we do that individually, the church will, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. But, but as a collective body of the church, God says there, Jesus says there in Luke chapter 11, that if you pray for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit every time, right? Now, not the new birth, but that, that special gift and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So really what we need to pray for on a daily basis is, Lord, just baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, just fill us up with your Holy Spirit. And, it, and if you fill us up with your Holy Spirit, everything else is going to work out exactly the way we see in the book of Acts, right? Our problem is either we don't pray it or we quench the Spirit, right? So... At a high level, at a high level, I want to hit some of those bullet points of the attributes of a thriving kingdom that we've tried to focus on that are exhibited when a church is just fully filled up with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, a church in its first love, doing the first words. We're going to come back to Acts chapter 2, uh, but Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, this verse right here, <clears throat> this verse right here, these four core activities of the church is just as central to the primitive Baptist as Matthew 121, Ephesians 1.4, as John 19.30. And if, by the way, if you don't know what these verses are, you need to memorize them and get to work, okay? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Just as, as core as all of those doctrinal points are, all those verses that summarize that, this verse right here summarizes the practice of the church, okay? Uh, the book of Acts, and especially Acts chapter 2, should have just as, as many uh, earmarks in our, in our Bibles as Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, okay? We'll come back to this by way of conclusion, but this is the summary of the original church and the four core activities they focused on. They, remember we talked about unity, they continued together steadfastly in the apostles doctrine you can't compromise the truth of God's word you can't compromise the gospel you can't compromise 
And you can't have true fellowship without upholding the apostles' doctrine. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And the rest of the chapter, verses 43 to 47, describe what happened as the effects of the church just focusing on these four core activities. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 is just as vital to the church and to the kingdom as Ephesians 1, 4, Romans chapter 8, Matthew 1, 21, John chapter 19 and verse 30, all those things. This is the practice of the church. These simple, aren't you glad that salvation by grace alone is simple? And aren't you glad that the practice of the church is simple? <laughs> we just got to do the simple things better, right? Now, step number one, step number one is always to be reminded that we have in and of ourselves no capacity to grow the kingdom of God, right? That's how the book of Acts starts. They have to wait patiently on the outworking and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he told them to do. He told them to wait. Now, they only had to wait 10 days. Jesus ministered for 40 days uh, after his resurrection. Pentecost is 50 days after the offering of the first fruits. They only had to wait 10 days. Well, we don't, the Lord hasn't given us a timeline about what increase looks like in the kingdom. And the timeline is not really relevant. We just simply do what they did. By the way, what did they do as they waited patiently on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? They continued together in unity and one accord in prayer. Acts chapter 1. In prayer, seeking the will and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came down, boy, it came down heavy in Acts chapter 2, didn't it? Next thing you know, we got, and, and this is so important. I, I wanna, okay, let's, I'm, I'm skipping ahead here. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. One of the reasons why it's so important that we have to understand, we have to wait on God to send the Holy Spirit is because I, the, church, the church is not a business and it's not comparable to business. But think about this in a business setting. How many businesses have you heard of that they've got a really good model, they've got a really good small business, but they are killed by growth? because they don't have the infrastructure to handle the growth, right? So what's so important is that if the Lord is about to add, I want you to think about just weight-wise, if you have 120 people that are the core members of the church and you're about to add 3,000 people on top of 100, look at, just think about that proportionally in your mind. If you have 120 people, here's the foundation, and you're about to add 3,000 people in one day on top of those 120 people, those 120 people better be solid, right? <laughs> Otherwise, the whole thing is going to collapse. So what's vitally important, we can't control when and, and, and in what way and what timing the Lord will send increase. The only thing we could do is make sure that we are setting as positive and as strong of a foundation as possible that in a natural sense, a foundation of 120 couldn't physically hold a found a 3,000 people being added on top of it, right? The math doesn't work, right? But those, you want to know the reason why those 120 people were able to hold that foundation is because they were centered on the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ, right? So what's vitally important is that we just focus on the basics. Focus on the basics, and, the, and focusing on the ba basics is just focusing on me. Just focusing on me. Acts chapter 6, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 16 and in verse 5. So the churches were established in the faith. Okay, part one. They were established in the faith and increased in number daily. And both are vitally important because... Without the original church and those foundational cornerstones growing in grace and in knowledge of the truth and being centered and strong, growth will cripple. If there's a fracture in that, and we've talked about unity, right? If, 
if significant growth happens and there's a fracture in the foundation, the whole thing's going to collapse, right? So what's vitally important is that we are just individually growing in grace and knowledge of the truth, right? We are established in the faith. We are laying that foundation strongly, and if the Lord sees fit according to his will, then they increased in number daily. So th those are the two components. Number one, we just focus on being established in the faith, continuing steadfastly, apostle doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. We focus on just being established, and then we say, Lord, according to your will, add to your kingdom. Right? But... If the foundation isn't strong, it would be, God is a very wise master builder, right? He's a wise master builder. And he's not going to add significant numbers to a foundation that is unstable. By the way, that's why it's so important that the church operates in unity. Because God is a wise master builder, and he sure enough isn't going to add to a foundation that is fractured and divided. Is he? No, of course not. That would be a very poor decision for a construction project manager. If he sees a crack in the foundation, we got to fix the foundation before we can add to it, right? So, established in the faith, and then after they're established, then the Lord saw fit to increase in number daily, okay? Number one, just wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. You know, we could be in a planting stage, we could be in a watering stage, we could be in a pruning stage. But ultimately, God promised us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 that in due season, in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Right? He promised us that. So we don't know what stage we're in, but whatever stage we're in, if I'm in the planting or if I'm in the watering, I need to water well. I need to plant well. Do the basics well. You know, gardening's not that complicated, is it? No, you just got to be diligent. <laughs> you just got to be diligent to do the basics well. And then the Lord will bless the harvest. So number one, you wait on the Holy Spirit. And we talked about internal growth. The, the foundation of the church being strengthened, growing in grace and in knowledge of the truth, being established in the faith. So where it's a strong foundation that can be built upon. And the, the, arguably the chief responsibility of the church to grow the kingdom is a willingness and a boldness to share the word of God with other people. Okay? Preaching the word of God is God's ordained means of growing his kingdom. Now, there's other ways that he grows his kingdom, but they are secondary. You know, these people... They just kind of randomly find things on the internet. They randomly pop in. Yeah, I mean, God uses that, right? But the primary way that he grows his kingdom is by willingness and a boldness to publicly share the word of God with those that are friends and family and then those that are called to those in a special way, such as myself, that are called to preach the gospel publicly. But then there may be times and opportunities as the Lord opens doors and guides you by your uh, by his spirit for you to have the opportunity to share the blessings of God and the grace of God with someone that you don't know. But the consistent pattern, I mean, essentially the book of Acts is that men go to a, to a new location, they preach the gospel, some people reject them. Some people believe they're baptized and, the church, and a, a local church started. But that's pretty much the book of Acts, right? What do they do? Everywhere they go, they just preach the gospel. They just preach the gospel. And we spent time talking about that, right? Preaching the gospel is not, is not always just a, it's a, cold, it's not a cold call. Many times it's, it's going to be relationship evangelism. You have to have a relationship with someone to where they're going to heed and put great value when you give them a testimony of God's blessings in your life is going to mean something because you already have a relationship with them. Now, there's a place for kind of third-party, uh, not a prior relationship evangelism, 
And the ministry is especially called to that, and the Lord may give you opportunities to do that as well. But the primary way, the primary way that God grows his kingdom is through relationship evangelism. As I've told you before, we are already natural evangelists. And we're especially natural evangelists to our friends and our family. Y'all know that, right? You already proactively tell them about good news that happens in your life. Why? Because they're the people that you love. And you want them to rejoice with you. And if you stand in need, to weep with you. Right? You already do that. We just have to have a willingness and a boldness to talk about the Lord with our friends and our family. So um, we'll, we'll highlight the, the daily public preaching uh, in just a, just a little bit. Um, that Paul exhibited. So bold public preaching, and as the kingdom grows, we also see one of the attributes is that new men are being called to preach consistently. And then we hope, we've been so anemic in the church and in the kingdom of heaven that we don't have enough ordained men to serve as pastors of the churches that are that are. Uh, already established, but the, the biblical example that we see in the New Testament is multiple elders in one body. Why? Because if a body is growing all the time, I mean, if you get, if you get past, you know, 50, 100 people, if you get past that point, you really need to be considering uh, possibly planting new churches, by the way. But once you get to that capacity, one man can't fully feel all the needs of those 100 people all the time, right? So the, the Lord will guide in his providence to where there is need, he will send people to help with that need. So God is moving in the ministry. He's calling men to preach. And where there is great need, he's, he's even adding other laborers. And all that feeds into a full-time ministry, right? Now, that's the biblical pattern. And boy... <laughs> if I didn't have to make tents in the accounting world <laughs> for eight hours a day, I'd be the happiest pastor in the entire world. If I could be a full-time pastor, boy, that's my dream job. Because accounting gets in the way, <laughs> let me tell you. My day job gets in the way of the ministry. But we have to do what we have to do for the time being. But... The biblical pattern is having a, as it says in Acts chapter 6 and in verse 4, when they're allocating the, the, the duties of the deacon and then the, the deacons and, the, and then the ministry, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They said there in Acts chapter 5, we ceased not, we ceased not to preach and teach and both publicly and from house to house. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I... I labored with you night and day with tears. You see, that's God's pattern. And if the kingdom is being blessed, the, the reason why there is a capacity to financially support a full-time ministry is because, another attribute, is radical generosity, right? People will come to the kingdom and they're understanding grace. For, now, uh, you need to support the needs of the local church but we don't tell you you know 10 percent x amount no god loves a cheerful giver it's more given more blessed to give than to receive but for people this is what we see in the book of acts for people that are tasting grace for the first time they said look at all this stuff that god has graciously blessed me with they want to give if you really understand grace if you really understand unmerited favor then you're going to have a desire to give, not just to the church, but for those that are in need, both uh, supporting the needs of the church, but also almsgiving, right, as the New Testament calls it. So if, if you've got a, a healthy church and people are, are thankful and they understand the Lord's material blessings and they're giving graciously and freely according to the, as they have ability and according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I mean, if you've got a church of 50 people, there's no reason they can't support a full-time ministry. There's no reason they can't. And then all this keeps feeding back into one another. It's like a circle. 
that it just keeps feeding it. The, the more time the ministry has, the more time they have to publicly preach the gospel, and then hopefully the Lord blesses that for more people to come into the kingdom who are also thankful for the Lord's blessings, who give more generously, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And then you've got plenty of finances also to take care of the, the needy in your community. Right? Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. They cared for the widows and the daily ministration. Well, why do they have the ability to do that? Because people were so moved by gratitude that they were really understanding grace for the first time. They were so moved by that that they gave freely to the church. And not only was there plenty to take care of all the finances of the ministry, there was a lot left over to care for the disadvantaged in the communities that couldn't care for themselves. Right? And again, that all just keeps taking care of itself. It all keeps funneling back. It's like a, it's, it's just a, a synergistic circle, right? One feeds the other. And the more opportunities that the ministry and other people have to preach the gospel, that continues to grow the kingdom and gives you more opportunities and more influence. It's just, it's an amazing thing to see. And we see that all played out in the book of Acts. Okay, so uh, full-time ministry radical generosity radical conversions right i mean radical convert that that makes such an impact to even people that don't believe the truth that we believe or even care about the church and what i mean by that is whether you were a good, godly, devout Jew, and you interacted with the wild Gadarean, right? Crazy man. Crazy man. No man can tame him. And then all of a sudden, you see him sitting in his right mind, and he tells you that Jesus Christ of Nazareth healed me. That is such a powerful change. That's such a powerful... That anyone would look at that and say, well, there's something big going on here, right? There is something beyond regular, you know, they didn't give him a pill and he got better over over six months. No, immediately he went from crazy one day to sitting in his right mind the next day, and he says the whole reason this happened is because of Jesus of Nazareth. Even, even unregenerate people could see, whoa, right? Something big happened here. Now, they probably wouldn't attribute it to God, but so dr dramatic changes in people's lives that it stands out to everybody, right? Radical conversions and radical repentance. I mean, they were putting the graven image industry out of business in Ephesus. They, they were making the Temple of Diana vacant. Also, they affected, I mean, we, we have not, in terms of Baptist Church, we have not understood evangelism and we have not understood it, and we have not executed it. Nobody knows who we are. That's, what, that's to our shame. Nobody knows who we are. But everybody knew. Everybody knew when Paul showed up into a town who he was. Everybody knew about it. And there was just one man standing up and boldly preaching the gospel in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 13... The whole city, he preaches out there uh, to, to those Jews and the Gentiles heard it, and they said, we want the same things to be preached to us next week. And when he preached it that next week, almost the whole city came out to hear the preaching of the word. I mean, that happened in a week. That happened in one week. He, he shows up in, a, <clears throat> in Corinth, in, in Athens, all these places, uh, Ephesus. He taught daily in the school of Tyrannus, and it says within just about two years, everyone in the region of Asia, and that, that, that region of Asia that's being described there, I want you to just think in your mind, just for a frame of reference, if we said Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi, okay? Think about that size. And this is not as long before social media, right? They didn't hear about it in a technological sense. They didn't see a post about it. They didn't see it on the news. Everyone within a Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi range had heard the word of God in less than two years. Right? That's what we see in the book of Acts. But nobody knows who we are. Nobody. 
And that's, that's to our shame. That's to our shame. Boldly preaching the word of God and impacting the whole city. I mean, just the, the, the little old bitty, and that day it wasn't little bitty, it is now, but back then it wasn't. The little old bitty church was shutting down the graven image industry. Do you understand that? Paul and the preaching of the gospel was shutting down the graven image industry in that same region, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Alabama. Now, what happened? What would happen if through little old primitive Baptist, if all of these houses of ill repute <laughs> and all these things that uh, that fill our American idolatry that we want to make ourselves feel better that we're not idolatry. America is America's the most idolatrous nation of the last three, four hundred years. Okay? And there'd be a lot of businesses going out of business if the gospel and the kingdom was moving in this powerful of a way. But everyone knew about these guys. You know, their enemies said, <clears throat> their enemy said, these that have turned the world upside down, we've seen them turning, <laughs> they've come hither also. We've seen them turning the world upside down everywhere, and now these guys have showed up in our town. We've been hearing about everything they've been doing and everywhere they went. And now we got to deal with these guys because now they showed up in our town. But that's what the people said that are the enemies of the gospel. These people have turned the world upside down. Personal evangelism. Persecution. Right? Let's not, let's not make it all a bed of roses. Right? <laughs> Wherever there are open doors, there's always going to be many adversaries. If the Lord's going to grow his kingdom, buckle up. It's not going to be easy. We've got to understand that. It's not going to be easy. People aren't going to like us. If we do things right and people don't like us, who cares? Commend them over to the Lord. They said they are counted worthy. They rejoiced, Acts chapter 5, when they were thrown in prison. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. His, it, it is a, the original church said, his name is so worthy that it's my privilege to be persecuted for his name. We need to have that high of a view of the name of Jesus Christ, amen? It's my privilege. It's my privilege to suffer shame for him. Why? Because he came into this world and died for my sins. And the least I could do is take up my cross daily. And you know what? He gave his life for my sins so I could live eternally with him. If I'm called to give my natural life for him, I should rejoice to be counted worthy to do that. Right? Because he did it for me. So persecution. Signs and wonders. Now, they had a different uh, miraculous manifestation in the book of Acts, Right? But there should be powerful things that are happening that stand out to people, stand out to the community. It says there at the conclusion of Acts chapter 2, they had favor with all the people. You know, we talked earlier. If you're carrying about, uh, if you're carrying, caring about the widows and they see you going, a, a widow that's not even a member of your church, and you're going above and beyond to care for that widow, you will have a tremendous respect and favor of the people in that community. You know, they, they may never agree with election and predestination and the truths that we see in the Bible, but you're going to have favor with all the people if you live out, if you shine your light in, your, in, in, in our communities in that way. We will have favor with the people, right? ministering to the needs of the community, effectual fervent prayers, right? Talk about getting back to basics. Yes, we've talked about that individually, but also we should be meeting collectively for church prayer meetings. And it shouldn't take somebody, Acts chapter 12, it shouldn't take somebody being thrown in prison and we think he's going to have his head chopped off two days from now for the church to meet and pray without ceasing for somebody that stands in need, Right? Praying without ceasing. Okay, that's a general overview. <clears throat> now let's focus on the daily activities, the daily activities of the kingdom. And before we go to the book of Acts, I want to go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9, to get this 
focus on a daily mindset. <clears throat> Every day, what do you get up? What are your practical takeaways for this? On a daily basis, what did the original church do? On a daily basis, what should I have at the forefront of my, my mind to try to engage in on a daily basis? Okay, Luke chapter 9. Verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, in the resurrection chapter, he summarized by saying, I die daily. I die daily. The reason why you got to do that is because your flesh doesn't take vacation days, right? <laughs> your flesh does not take a break. Your flesh does not give you a break. It doesn't give you a break on Sundays either, by the way, right? How many times have you got all flustered and all up in the flesh, you know, from right as you're getting ready to go to church? But the flesh doesn't take a break on Sundays either. <laughs> and it's sure enough, your flesh does not take a break from Monday through Saturday. So you got to get up every day with the, with the understanding that I'm in a fight. I'm in a warfare with the world, but the, my worst enemy is not an external enemy. My worst enemy is my flesh. So I have to mortify that flesh every single day. And the more I mortify the flesh, the more room there is for me to be filled up with the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's, that's what it boils down to. It boils down to us being just filled up with the Holy Spirit. And that flesh, if it is influencing my actions in any way it is diminishing the capacity of the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life so I have to get up and every single day take up my cross and mortify that flesh and then follow Christ um, the daily activities of the kingdom okay um, we talked about <clears throat> we talked about a, a full-time ministry that's fully invested and devoted I want to highlight a few of that, some of that language we've already kind of referenced in passing. Acts chapter 5 and uh, verse 42. And daily in the temple, daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And in the next chapter, Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So every single day, during the day, so to say, they were preaching publicly. And then in, in the evenings, they were going to people's houses, right? Because these people, they were, they were babes in Christ. And by the way, if the kingdom is growing in the way that it ought to, there will always, always, always be people who are babes in Christ that need personal instruction in their living rooms, you know? Instead, many of our churches is we have these long-standing members that oh they they know all what we believe. Well, if the church is growing all the time, you got new people coming in all the time that are going to have questions, that are not going to understand things, that are going to need personal instruction that is much more in depth than just what we can get to on Sunday mornings during a 45-minute message, right? So if the kingdom is growing, there's always going to be a need for the minister to be in people's homes answering individual questions that they have. And that's why they're, they're, wherever there's a need, the Lord will always supply that need. Amen? That happens in a providential sense, but wherever there's a need in the kingdom, if there are sheep that are hungering, the Lord is going to provide for those sheep that are hungering. And a full-time devoted ministry. Okay, and now, now let's go to a public sin. <clears throat> the public preaching of the gospel. And this is, uh, this is to me. But also, you need to understand what you should expect from your pastor. Okay? You should hold myself accountable to this standard that is set in the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 17, and verse 17, Therefore... Disputed he, speaking of Paul and Marcel, in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. 
Now, I've meditated on this a lot. You know, what is that? I, I, I readily admit, and this applies to your personal evangelism too, we're, we're in a lot different world and setting than the first century church, right? So what, what is preaching the gospel in the marketplace? What does it look like today? Well, we need to have somewhat of an online presence. You know, we can, that's casting your bread upon the waters, I think. And the Lord can take that and maybe it will return to you after many days. But the biblical pattern is not just saying, oh, I'll preach the gospel publicly because we hit go live on Facebook and we're preaching the gospel publicly. No, that's, that's not preaching the gospel publicly. It's providing access for people to be able to find it. <clears throat> but the pattern has not changed. There has to be interactions with people in a personal sense preaching the Word of God. And what does that look like for me? I'm still praying on it. I'm still meditating on it. What does, that, what does this look like? Especially since my, my time is, is allocated to, uh, my best time is allocated to my profession, unfortunately. What does that look like? How does that work out? But I know I have an obligation to preach the gospel publicly on a daily basis. And I hope I have clarity and open doors to be able to do that. Because that's the way the kingdom grows. Acts chapter 19 and in verse 9, when divers were hardened and believed not, spake evil that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. I mean, how amazing is it, the movement of the Holy Spirit, that Paul essentially had an adjunct professorship, so to say, in the school of Tyrannus. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of people that would benefit from... A, a old Baptist that was articulate, that was that was knowledgeable, that could could preach and teach the Word of God in a very clear way. What a blessing that would be if the Lord opened door for somebody to have an adjunct professorship at some university. And just about all universities are very secular now. What a blessing would that be, right? And Paul, when the when the Lord opened that door, the Paul Paul ran through it. So every single day, and you know, you know he made waves and people word got out. Paul is here preaching and teaching the word of God, and there's a lot of people that came to hear what he had to say because of his willingness to put himself in a position to teach the word of God publicly. And again, we try to put stuff out there. We, we put sermons online and we... Uh, support radio programs. We, we put things out there where people can find them, but there has to be personal connection. Okay? There's no substitute for that. So, preaching the gospel daily, publicly, and that's the responsibility of the ministry. But then the responsibility of every member of the church, Acts chapter 8, and in verse 4, here, because of persecution, the church is scattered, and then Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere. Now remember, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, right? So this is not the apostles, it's not the preachers. But all the rank and file members of the church, they, they were scattered abroad, went, every, went everywhere preaching the word, that relationship evangelism. Share a testimony of God's blessings in your life, and your testimony will never be centered around a works-based blessing, right? It'll always be centered on grace. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, certainly in eternal salvation. But there's, there's no providential blessing in my life that I can take full credit for. The testimony of your life should always be the unmerited favor and, mer and mercy of Almighty God, right? And that should just be right at the tip of our tongue all the time. So that, that's just the way that we naturally evangelize family and friends, but if you have been blessed to be the parent of a child, you also have a daily teaching responsibility to the members of your household. And I think this applies. You know, not everyone has been blessed either at this season in life or at all of a child to raise and nurture and admonition of the Lord, but there are all opportunities with young people in the kingdom of God to take them to the side and teach them the same things, okay? But in Acts chapter, I mean, excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
Now, don't, don't lose sight of the fact that this is right after, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy mind. How is that love played out, right? We, we've talked about this before so many times. We talk about what we love, right? What we love will always come out in our speech and in our actions. And it will always come out with those that we love the most, right? I mean, if you took a poll, this is a sobering thought. If you took a poll of the people that you would consider to be the five or six people you love the most, what would they say you love the most? Well, what would they base it on? It had, it had a lot to do with your actions. It had a lot to do with your speech, right? So, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and also in all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And notice, on the daily activities of life, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And then also bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and frontlets write them upon the post of your house. You know, what that's saying in a very simple way is have things in your home that display the word of God that stimulate conversations, Right? You know, have verses that, you know, you can have pictures of verses and things like that, but have, have verses on a whiteboard or something like that that stimulate questions. Because kids, boy, they're, they're going to ask questions anyway. Might as well have them asking questions about the Word of God instead of all this crazy stuff of the world. Have, have something that stimulates them asking a question that gives you the opportunity to say, this is what the Bible says, but also this is what this verse means, and this is how good our God is, right? So on a daily basis, on, on the daily activities of you sitting down, rising, everywhere you go, I mean, the best, some of the best evangelism you can ever have with your little kid is when you're, uh, they're in the back seat with you when you're driving, right? Because they don't have anywhere to go, right? They mostly have to listen to you, right? They can ignore you a little bit, but, but you can talk over them. You're the adult. You can tell them to be quiet and listen, right? So there are multiple opportunities for you to teach your kids in the daily activities of life. Okay, so just the teaching ministry of the church, and we've talked about that displaying publicly in the ministry, teaching and sharing the Word of God in just your daily lives and those you interact with in the workplace and other scenarios, and then certainly in your family, right, with your, with your children. Um, we won't turn over there to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Uh, the widows were cared for in the daily ministration, right? So they, they had established this infrastructure in the church that the widows knew that it didn't matter if it was Monday or if it was Friday. Any day I can go up to the members of the church and they have the not just the capacity but the willingness to help me if I stand in need, right? They had the structure that every single day they were ministering to the needs of the disadvantaged in their community every day. The daily ministration. Studying God's Word every day. Let's go ahead and turn over there in Acts chapter 17 and the noble Bereans. And when we talked about this, you know, I said that uh, sometimes we think maybe a little negatively about the Thessalonians because they said they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. But you, you find from especially First and Second Thessalonians, these are very devoted disciples. I mean, that's not a dig at them at all. They, they were fantastic. But the thing that set the Bereans above just a bar ahead was because, Acts chapter 17 and in verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 very quickly. <clears throat> and don't disconnect verse 1 from the rest of the chapter, okay? Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the school. Those are actions that exhibit a godly life, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You need to have a consistent manner, a consistent routine, a consistent pattern of reading the word of God on a daily basis. 
We have Bible reading plans for you on the back table. But just think about it. Not only reading it, this is my challenge, is meditating on it. You know, I, I, I do my best to read it, but in, unfortunately my mind shifts to all the responsibilities of the day instead of meditating on what I read. But just think about this. Very simple example. Let's say you read, and by the way, if you commit to this, if you commit to routine Bible reading, you will be amazed at how the things you read in the morning will impact the, how you respond to the circumstances that happen through the rest of the day. So if you commit to reading, don't be surprised if you happen to read in Proverbs where it says, uh, grievous words stir up anger, but a soft answer turneth away wrath. Well, if you, not just if you read that, but if you're meditating on that, meditating on that on a daily basis or on that, that particular day, do you think you are better or less equipped to respond when you have a tense emotional situation at work and somebody's yelling at you? Do you think you are going to respond better to that when you're meditating on that verse or if you were too busy to read the Bible like I am? a lot of mornings, and too, reason to be, too busy to read the Bible, and I haven't read anything that morning. Which, which one of those two things do you think you are more likely to respond in the biblical way of a soft answer? Y'all know the answer to that, right? <laughs> Clearly, if you read the Bible in the morning and you're meditating on it, you are going to respond much better to the challenges that come that day. And it's good for you to read your Bible, and I, I don't get to it every morning just based on my own uh, lack of time prioritization, but that's not going to benefit you as much reading it at 9 p.m. after your day's already gone and you said something you shouldn't have said, right? Then it would be if you made the commitment to read it in the morning and you're more properly equipped to respond in a godly way because you're meditating on the Word of God. And not to mention, <laughs> every day, if I get to the end of the day and I've been stressed and tense and if things hadn't turned out that good, I can always look back and say, you know what, I wasn't that focused when I was praying this morning. I wasn't really meditating on the Word of God. But every time I've been fairly fo really focused, it seems like the rest of the day just turns out better. How about that, right? If you commit to doing that early in the day, I think your days will be much better than if you don't. But the noble Bereans... They studied the scriptures daily to see if those things were so, okay? Now, what's the effect? What's the effect of that? We've already talked about Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. They were established in the faith first, and then the Lord added to them. Okay, so now let's conclude in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. The basic building blocks of the kingdom, the four core activities that we talked about from Acts chapter 4 and verse 42. Now, Depending on how you break it out, and I think you could break it out with seven results. Seven's the number of biblical perfection and completion, so uh, I think that makes sense. You could slice it differently if you wanted to, but what are the seven, the, the core activities that the, tour, uh, the church engaged in in verse 42? They were committed to them, steadfast in them. What was the effect of their willingness to be committed to those four core activities? These seven results, and we've talked about each of these individually. Fear came upon every soul. They walked in the fear of the Lord. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and their goods and parted to them. All men as every man had need. They continuing daily, daily fellowship. Daily interactions. They continuing Daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, think about all these things that the church did daily. Now, how does this express itself perfectly? You know, we don't have the capacity to, to see physically. Again, they live in a different time, but we can't make excuses because we live in 2023, Okay. They had more of a capacity to see one another on a daily basis than we do today. But at the same time, we have a, a much better opportunity and ability to communicate daily, right? So 
it's not feasible today for us to physically be in the same location on a daily basis. But this is the standard that we need to strive toward to the best of our ability, right? So the point is we need to be engaging and fellowshipping to some degree as much as possible, right? As much as possible. Ideally on a daily basis, but we know that's many times not phys- uh, physically feasible. But look at all of these activities that the church did on a daily basis. Don't miss this connection, okay? These are all the things that the church did daily. Verse 47, the conclusion. And the Lord added to the church daily. Such as should be said. The Lord is a faithful gardener to allow you to reap what you sow. Right? <laughs> now, understand, now he's, he's gracious. Praise the Lord, he's gracious. But he is faithful. He's faithful. And he's so faithful, he's so faithful, that if you don't sow that much, you're not going to reap that much. If you sow the wrong thing, you may reap something you may not like. <laughs> but he is a faithful gardener. He's a faithful gardener. And the Lord will bless us according to his providence and grace and his will, will bless us to reap what we sow. So don't miss the point that they were together daily. They were focusing on these things daily. They were preaching the gospel daily. They were reading the word of God daily. They were taking care of the needs of the community daily. And what did the Lord do? It's a pretty simple formula, isn't it? The Lord added to the church daily, right? Because the Lord is a good gardener. (laughs) He takes care of his vineyard. And if we focus on these things, I believe the Lord will bless us to reap. And the more we do, just think about that formula. They did it daily. The Lord blessed them daily. The more we do it, the more the Lord will bless, right? That makes sense. Right? So we, f- we focus on these simple first works. We submit to the will of God. We pray for God to bless his kingdom. And we hope in time we can look back in hindsight and say, because one cool thing about growth is you really can't always feel like you're growing in the moment. Right? You got to look back and say, this is where I was. This is where I ended up. That was a period of growth. But we hope the Lord will bless us to his honor and glory for, to look back in a period of time and say, you know what? The Lord added to the church according to his will, according to his time. <coughs> Our responsibility is just to do what we've been called to do, the simple activities of the kingdom. Just do them well. Do them well. And you want to know the best way you're going to do them? Is just say on a daily basis, I've told you this before, but pray for the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Because if you're filled up with the Holy Spirit, the rest of the whole church is going to be filled up with the Holy Spirit, and all this stuff is just going to happen, right? All this stuff is going to be the effects of a church that's filled up with the Holy Spirit. We just hope and pray that God would fill us up with his Holy Spirit in his church and in his kingdom. Please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for giving us this blessed kingdom, Lord. You are such a good God to us, Lord. You... You've saved us to heaven, but you've given us in the kingdom of heaven the ability to taste a foretaste of glory divine. We can taste the joys that we will have eternally in heaven that will never end. Lord, we can taste them here in the earnest of our inheritance in the setting of the church in the kingdom of heaven, Lord. And Lord, the most important thing for growth repentance is first of all to acknowledge that we have come short of your standard lord it is evident through the lack of effects that we see in the book of acts lord we have not been the custodians of your kingdom in the manner that we ought to be but lord through the fire of your holy spirit through you filling us and baptizing us with the holy ghost lord We just pray that you would bless us to do these simple actions of the kingdom in a way that is honoring to you. 
and glorifying to you. And Lord, that's the end goal of everything that we do in our lives, everything we do in the church, is that you would be exalted and that you would be glorified. Lord, we have no desire for empire building. We just simply, we desire for your glory to be exalted in the kingdom. And Lord, allow us to be faithful stewards. Allow us to be faithful servants. Use us in your kingdom, Lord. And if it would be your will and we have sowed according to your word and we have sowed according to your glory, then we hope that you would see fit to add increase unto us according to your will. And Lord, we pray that for this local body. But Lord, we just pray for the kingdom. We pray for every small local church that is struggling, that doesn't see a hope for the future, Lord. Fill them up with your Holy Spirit. Fill up your kingdom with a first love for you that will follow the first works, Lord. We just pray that you would bless your kingdom. Bless us to be faithful custodians of this kingdom. And please add to the kingdom according to your will and for your glory, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.